Hey, welcome in. It's another edition of the Morning After Podcast, a busy weekend of college football, and we try to break it all down and try to make some sense out of it. Appreciate everybody who's already downloaded it, who's listened to it in the past, and uh, we hope to keep it rolling. So, uh, boy, Utah dominates. Utah State gets dominated and gets ready for BYU coming up this weekend. Interesting, uh, interesting couple of games to talk about here. First, let's start with the University of Utah. And uh, Hans, I can't remember i mean look we've seen a lot of great games from utah defenses this might be number one on the list i don't know if if you just look at a game statistically i can't remember a utah game that's much better than what they put together yesterday it was it was complete it was physical it was dominance it was everything and just a couple of numbers to, to prove that the last time Utah shut down a, a conference opponent for zero points goes back to 2007. I think it was against Wyoming. And the last time Cal went scoreless was 20 years ago against Nebraska. So this this is just an incredible performance defensively to not allow any points. There was one missed field goal, um, but outside of that, they just shut them down. And you were able to take your starters off the field with 11 minutes left in the third quarter and start to rest them because you got a big Washington game coming up in Seattle. So it was all around a perfect game plan. Ludwig looks like he's got his stride going with his personnel, and it was fantastic. Zach Moss, 17. I'm sorry, go ahead, Lloyd. I thought Ludwig... I, I saw some of your tweets and, and, and Ludwig watching that. I mean, I've never, I mean, let's, let's be honest back. I mean, there was some madness back when, when Ludwig was here his first time. I mean, Utah fans had, he, and there was times where he drove, drove them crazy. And I think, I think you saw that a little bit this year where you, you like, you know, in the USC game, I'll just say in the USC game, you saw it. Um, but the, the balance, of of run and and pass and the different plays the different looks it is it was imp- it's, it's impressive i mean he he looks like uh you know i mean he he looks like he's 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 learned so much like so so much more from his time away that, and he's brought all that you know all that knowledge that he got from there and is he's on he's on a, he's on he's on another level He's got the players. Uh, he's definitely got more, you know, better players than he did the last time he was here. But, but man, the the, the play calling is is unbelievable. Tyler Huntley, eleven of seventeen, two hundred fourteen yards and a score. Moss, seventeen carries, one hundred fifteen yards and two touchdowns. And then you look at the receiving. Zach Moss leading the receiving as well, three catches for eighty nine yards. And it just, you know, to to your point on Andy Ludwig, I think it's really interesting because. Uh, there's been, I mean, let's be honest, there's a long list of offensive coordinators who've, who've ran through the University of Utah, and you never seem to find the right fit. You know, the guy that would put the personnel together with the game plan, with the play calling, and when Andy Ludwig came back, I'll admit I was a little skeptical because I wasn't a huge fan of Andy Ludwig the first time he was at the University of Utah, 
But boy, he you could not have found a better fit for what Utah was trying to do offensively to match with their personnel to make Huntley look as good as he's looked. Uh, and Huntley obviously deserves a ton of credit for that too. But I mean, this is, I mean, Hans, this is a match made in heaven right now. Yeah, and I had a caller last night call in and he said, would you classify Andy as a brilliant offensive coordinator? And in order to do that, you have to kind of consider what others would do with this talent because Zach Moss is an NFL talent and and um, they've got a couple of, of wide receivers that have surfaced as high-level talents, Brian Thompson. And my thought was, what did Troy Taylor not have last year that Andy Ludwig has. And, and I think Brian Thompson's really the only thing that comes to mind. You had Fotheringham and Keithy. You had access to Dixon. Um, you had Moss. You had Huntley, obviously, before uh, before injury. But what did, you know, what did Troy Taylor have or what does Ludwig have that Troy didn't? So I... I one of the one of the best indicators to me is the development of Tyler Huntley and how far he's come along as a quarterback. And you talked about Moss's receiving yards tonight. A couple of those were checkdowns after pressure came and he moved the pocket. And instead of again dropping his head and running, Scotty, he's getting so more so much more adept at lifting his head up and finding his checkdowns and hitting some hots and getting the ball to guys that are a little more durable, are supposed to be carrying the ball, and that's what he did with Moss. And So Ludwig's development of Tyler Huntley alone talks to the importance of that hire because Huntley is not the Huntley. Huntley did some good things in the past, but what he does in late recognition is impressive and how much he's learned in that area. we got to spend some time talking about this defense, Lloyd, um, because you look combined, uh, quarterback for, throws for 47 yards. They give up 23 yards rushing in this game. Um, this is, I mean, it's this was uh, as really as impressive as a defensive performance as we've seen. Uh, they get to the quarterback three times. I mean, when you're watching this defense, and, and, you know, you look at it, they didn't force a turn, ton of turnovers, but, boy, they just got they just kept Cal off the field. Cal couldn't do anything. And, and that's what I was going at. Well, I was actually going to say, like, it was, it was surprising how suffocating they were, and they didn't have a single turnover. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that I thought that that hold call, and maybe and maybe and maybe I'm, I'm I'm wrong. I thought that hold call where they got that interception where, um, where uh, oh, who was it? it was the linebacker. I'm going blank on his name now. Uh, intercepted it, Lloyd. No, not Lloyd. Uh, one transfer from BYU. Oh, Bernard. Bernard. Yeah. Bernard. Yeah, intercepted it, which was a hell of a play. I mean, um. That that team was just suffocating. I mean that that, guy, that they couldn't they could not move. The only time they moved the ball was when was when that guy possibly you know was able to escape out of the pocket and 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 maybe and 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 maybe escape somewhere. And that was it. And, but that was it. I mean, you would do that, and then then you get get stopped on the next set of downs. You get a first down, possibly, and then you get stopped on the next set of downs. I mean, it was 
the cornerbacks, they, they, you know, anytime they threw the ball up, they, they, they turned, were able to turn their head around and, and find the ball and knock it down. I mean, there was no way that Cal was going to score on them last night. Hands, from your perspective, what do you see from that defense? Well, I've been talking about this over the last three weeks. I think that Morgan Scalley's felt more comfortable releasing some dogs and really deep, digging deep into the, the pressure playbook. And last night, anybody that was watching this game, this is how I put it last night. If you see a little guy, a medium-sized guy, and a big guy all getting pressures and getting sacks, that means that the defensive coordinator was extremely busy with schemes. Because you had Burgess coming through and creating a big hit and a big play and a big sack that, that forced a fumble that ended up, <laughs> it was like second 28, or I, I can't remember how far. Third and 36. Yeah, third and 36. So, you know, that was that was Burgess. I, think, I believe that was the Burgess sack. And you had Blackman, you had a corner blitz with Josh Nurse, you had, uh, and, and Nurse got there. I think Nurse was the one, Lloyd, that would have caused that interception that might have been called back. I, I'll have to go back and look exactly, but then you had Leckie with a big sack. You had uh, Devin Lloyd in on a couple of big pressures and hits. It was just awesome play calling, and it was all over the field, and it was really difficult for Cal to try to get their bearings and figure out how to block some of that scheme. That makes it really difficult. I, I can't difficult. I can't put you guys. I can't I'm talking to the listeners. I can't put you guys into the shoes of an offensive lineman. I wish I could, and trying to identify and re-identify the Mike linebacker. Because sometimes the Mike linebacker could actually be a nickel corner. Sometimes the Mike linebacker could be a strong safety. Sometimes the Mike linebacker could change two times while the cadence is in course. So <laughs> it's really difficult when you've got a scheme like that. But just to talk to the, the dominance of the defensive backfield, Arizona State... Two weeks ago, they were averaging 268 yards a game. Now they're averaging 233 yards a game through the air passing. Cal, coming into this game, was averaging 193 yards per game passing. So that's a total of 426 yards per game that those two teams were averaging through the air. And Utah held those two teams to a combined 85 total yards through the air. That's, those two teams that's combined insane. on 426, Utah helped them to a total of 85 yards through the air in two games in the Pac-12. I just, I've never, outside of Air Force and Navy, I've never heard of two teams on back-to-back weeks being held under 100 yards through the air. And... That just tells you about the dominance. A lot of that came off the pressure last night. A lot of it came because it's a third-string quarterback, and you could see he had some issues. But, wow, guys, that is a dominant performance I've seen in a long time. Everybody was – well, not everybody, I would say. You had people that were like, oh, you know what? Utah struggled against third-string quarterbacks. Come on. It is, they, this, this Utah defense is playing on another level. I, I'm telling you, if this – well – I don't know. Those receivers are pretty dang good. But I'm telling you, know what? If this Utah defense took on that USC team again, 
they would they would and they t- took on the same quarterback, they would shut him down. Yeah, I have no but, doubt in my mind that they would shut him down right now. But there's also, you know, when fans have a sample size of what USC did, and then you're, you know you're watching that UCLA Arizona State game before this game gets going, and UCLA's beating Arizona State, and you're just like, what is going on this week? Washington State was pushing Oregon. You know, we were watching the scores with Washington State. We're like, is Washington State going to beat Oregon? It took a late field goal by Oregon to win that game. And so I think that all Pac-12 fans and all Utah fans, and, and I said this in the in the pregame show, I did come to the conclusion that Utah will dominate and that Utah will win by a large margin. That was my final conclusion. But I certainly put out there the fact that Utah had the wake-up call against USC, and if they sleep in the first quarter, we could get into three quarters and they could be waking up saying, well, we better get going. It's just the reality of the Pac-12. But Lloyd, to your point, if that defense comes out and they're clicking, and if Zach Moss is healthy and Mudwood presses the run, they can start every game with an advantage. Every game, they should start with an advantage. They should take Oregon in a Pac-12 championship game. They should be able to stop them on drives, and they should be able to establish a run game that then supports their play action and pass game. And if this should be a successful team. If they play the way they can play, they will win the Pac-12 championship. They will. They're that good. Can we shout out uh, Jason Shelley real quick? Like I, I thought that guy played really well. I mean, obviously, you don't they don't trust him enough to really let him. And they didn't need to. They didn't need to pass. But, I mean, he was four for five, 28 yards. But that guy, that guy did an unbelievable job coming in for that. What, what I believe was that. Was, that, was he in there that entire second half? Came in, at 11, yeah. came in at 11 minutes and 30 seconds left in the third quarter. He was unbelievable. I mean, there was a run. I want to say it was about at the 1045 mark, roughly, a Moss run, where he was downfield blocking. He was downfield laying blocks out for Moss. It got him, that yeah. got Moss like another 15 yards. Yeah, he was I mean, blocking that, downfield. The tight ends were blocking downfield. He had three tight ends with receptions yesterday. And they were blocking downfield, and everybody kind of bought into that downfield blocking. But yeah, Lloyd, I know the play you're talking about with Shelley. He was running a dude. No yeah, question. yeah, yeah. And he, uh, I mean, that that guy, that guy, I mean, balled out. And this, by the way, this is what was, what was this defense ranked in the Pac-12? What did they have, like the third best uh, defense in the Pac-12? I can't remember. Yeah, but something, something like that. that yeah. Good defense where they where they hadn't they hadn't allowed a team. I mean, they hadn't allowed a team to score over twenty five points um, in a, I don't even remember how many consecutive games. But but it, it was a it's a pretty good defense, and and you know Utah was able to do. I didn't think they were going to have this much. I thought they would. You know, they'd be able to put some points because they'd probably get some turnovers on the Cal offense, which they didn't get any turnovers. And this was just flat Utah's offense just having their way with a, a pretty pretty decent Cal defense. You got a uh, you know, Hans, you mentioned about winning a Pac twelve title. Uh they need they need USC to lose a game here. And I think it'll probably be this weekend because USC's got Oregon. 
Uh, but if they get past Oregon, then they've have got Arizona State, Cal, and UCLA. So it lightens up a little bit. I got to imagine sure. USC is going to lose a game in there somewhere. But it's crazy to think that Utah could go 11-1 and one and not win the division. Should have sounds like the SEC, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, because... Yeah, I mean, that's- I mean, Utah's got Washington, and obviously that's the that's the game of the year for Utah right now because you get past Washington, and then it opens up because then you've got UCLA. That's going to be a W. You're at Arizona. That should be a W. And then you're home to Colorado, which should be a W. So things are laying yeah. out nicely here for Utah if they get past Washington this weekend, which, frankly, the way Utah's playing, they should. But, you know, I think Frank did a good job of talking about the gauntlet of three games and Arizona State, Cal, have just been dominating wins for Utah, especially from a defensive standpoint. Uh, if they get past Washington, there's your gauntlet because those final three games of the season should all be Ws. Yeah, and they do have to look for that USC-Oregon game. And it is, it feels almost as you can see, like to think that Utah could run from here on out and, and still not be able to represent that Pac-12 championship game, but I don't. I, don't, I just don't think USC gets no, through. I don't, and I don't either. I they're going to lose somewhere along the way, but you just it's it's still funny to think as well as Utah's playing, they still don't control their own destiny right now. You know, Scotty, we went back and last night, and we were looking at the offensive drive charts for Utah, and their second drive was their second possession was a 99-yard drive for a touchdown. Their third was a 90-yard drive for a touchdown. Their fourth was a 76-yard drive touchdown. And their fifth was a 70, I think 70 or 72-yard drive. And all of them methodical. And all of them very dominant. And and at that point, they were just that's, that's when you started to see the change of the guard. Like I said, 11 minutes and 30 seconds left, they roll out basically a second-string offense. It was it was dominant, and I, I think they, they'll have the same level of performance against Washington. I, I don't know where Vegas will put it, but I'm, I'm expecting Utah to really take care of Washington. All right, um, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, Utah State, as bad as or as much as Cal struggled offensively, kind of felt like the same for Utah State struggling offensively against uh, Air Force last night. Let me run you guys through some numbers here because uh, I don't think I've seen Utah State get dominated on offense the way that they were, and frankly, defensively too. Um, Air Force ran a grand total of 84 plays in that game. Utah State ran 36 plays in that game. Um, And Utah State did not turn the ball over. Air Force turned it over twice. Uh, 472 yards of total offense for Air Force 128 for Utah State, and Air Force passed the ball a grand total of six times in that game. They were two of six passing for 24 yards, but 448 yards of rushing on the ground. Um, they're, uh, they averaged uh, 5.7 yards a rush. Time of possession, here's another number. 45 minutes, 43 seconds for Air Force. 14 minutes, 17 seconds for Utah State. Hands, you've played against Air Force. You know how bad it can be when they get that offense rolling. And it was Utah State just couldn't do anything. They couldn't get off the field. And offensively, you would see Air Force go on a five-minute drive touchdown. 
Utah State would go three and out. They went three and out their first three possessions in that game, and uh, and Air Force really just put it to them. Well, one one thing that I saw, and we were kind of in and out of that studio. Man, it was a it was a busy night. You had World Series action. Utah Jazz was going trying to watch this Utah game because I had to analyze that for the post game show. But I was able to slip in every now and then back in the booth and, and watch some of this Utah State Air Force game. And Scotty, I want you to talk to me about the protection of love because it really felt like love was being pushed. Uh, it felt like the left tackle was on skates. And I, I don't know how good Air Force is at getting to the quarterback, but it just it felt like love never really had time to set. How much of it are you putting on Jordan Love? And how much are you putting on the pieces around Jordan Love to protect the catches his throws. I think there's, I think right now, uh, I, there's been a lot of us that have been close to the program that just kind of feel like, okay, the offense is in a bit of a slump. They'll have a breakout game and they'll get this thing back on track. And now I think that's it's fair to have a conversation that there's there's some systematic issues going on right now with Utah State that are just they're that they've got problems and. Um, and I think that it's, there's a lot of things going on right now. I, I think your wide receivers are having a hard time getting separation. Teams are manning up these wide receivers and saying, we're just going to, we're just going to man up your guys. Um, we'll probably, you know, uh, throw another guy to keep an eye on COC Mariner. Cause he's probably your best weapon offensively from a wide receiver standpoint, and you're not going to have anybody open and wide receivers can't get separation. Um, I think that your offensive line is having some significant issues right now protecting Jordan Love. So Jordan Love's dropping back, and Jordan Love's getting more pressure than he's used to, and he's not having open targets to throw to. And so now he's pressing. He feels like he's got to put every ball right on the numbers. And and so now his accuracy, I think, has suffered because of it. There's a lot. I think he's pressing. I think there's... There's moments he just doesn't look comfortable in the pocket, and there's probably good reason he doesn't look comfortable in the pocket because he's he's not able to find open targets, and he's got heavy rush that he's never, frankly, had uh, before at this level at, at Utah State. So there, there's multiple problems uh, for this Utah State offense. And uh, look, they got BYU coming up this weekend. That's going to be certainly a battle. Then they've got Wyoming, who became bowl eligible uh, last week. Uh, they're, they're having one of their better seasons they've had. You got Fresno state on the road who isn't particularly good this year, but you still have to go to the road to Fresno and then you still have Boise state left on the schedule. So, I mean, right now, I think it's fair for Utah state fans to look at, okay, for a season where you thought you might get eight or nine wins. Now it's a conversation about whether or not you can get bowl eligible because there's one win left that, you know, for sure on the schedule against New Mexico, that's the final game of the season. But then after that, you got to find another win on there somewhere, and I, uh, I could make a case that any anybody else on that uh, on that schedule is probably going to be. Now I don't know what the line is on the BYU game, but I think BYU probably will be favored going into this game because Utah State has just had so many struggles as of late. Take the uh, the score completely just out of it, and you open up the box score, and. I love that you started with the stuff because you see Jordan loves 23 attempts and you're like, oh, well, Jail Bright and, and Jalen Warren must have had a hell of a game. They must have rushed the ball a lot. And then you see 13 attempts. You're like, wait, what? 23 attempts via pass, 13 attempts on the ground. And you're like, and then you look at the score and you're like, oh, okay. It's like, 
it, those numbers are so crazy that they only had 13 rush attempts despite Jordan Love only having, you know, 23 passing attempts. Like it's, oh, Air Force is just, they are a nightmare. When you, like, there's, there's something about them that they're unbelievable in the first, you know, maybe three-fourths of the season, half of the season. And then they wear down because, you know, they're smaller bodies and, and usually they wear down and they're not quite as good as towards the end of the season. Um, it seems like, um, but it's, 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 it's crazy to see those stats and think, Oh my, you had a total of, you know, 39 essentially plays. Yeah. 39 plays. That's it. I mean, that's crazy. Of the, uh, of the nine possessions Utah state had last night, six of them were three and outs, which against, wow. which against wow. air force, um, frankly is, it's almost like a turnover. Like I go back. So air force is leading this game 17, nothing at halftime. Utah state is doing nothing offensively. They get the ball to start the second half. They march right down the field, score a touchdown at 17, seven. You're thinking, all right, now you get a, you get a stop defensively and you got a chance, uh, air force, um, air force, uh, drives the ball a bit, but then Utah state gets to the stop. They're forced to punt. And then, uh, the punt goes all the way down to the one yard line. And then Utah State goes three and out, punts, short punt. Uh, Air Force gets it at the 40-yard line, march right down the field, score a touchdown, it's 24-7. And at that point, you're like, okay, well, it's pretty much done at that point. Um, it's just there were there were some opportunities, but offense just couldn't get anything going on any level of consistent, you know, consistent nature. And then Utah State just couldn't get off the field. They give up uh, third downs for Air Force. Um, they were 10 of 13. Um, 10 of 13 on third down air force was Utah state was one of nine. Hmm. Wow. I haven't heard of numbers like that for a long time for Utah state. And, and Gary Anderson, I'm sure is, he probably didn't sleep at all. And he's probably going to be extremely ornery, um, as he's getting guys in for treatment and he's going over film review. And I was thinking about this yesterday. And the way it worked is going to affect this BYU-Utah State game, and yeah. I can't put my finger on it. I can't, you know, BYU with the extra week of preparation and Utah State with an embarrassing loss, giving up over 400 yards on the ground to a physical Air Force team. I'm trying to think, well, how does that impact this matchup? Does that tick Gary off? Does that embarrass the team? Does that unite and spark like we saw BYU unite and spark after an embarrassing loss to South Florida coming back and getting a win against Boise State? Or does this team implode? Do yeah. they fold up camp yeah. and say, well, this this is just overly embarrassing and this is a throwaway season? And, and, and so I think we're going to see the character of this team, and I think that we're going to see the coaching ability of this Utah State um, staff to get this Aggie team up and ready and refocused for a very important BYU matchup. I, I just has to mean it has to mean a lot to these guys. I know it's not conference play, but to Gary Anderson and Justin in and some of the guys that we know in that office, Scotty, this is still going to be a very important game. They want the third in a row. They they know that Aggie fans they absolutely love these wins over BYU. It's going to be very interesting how this affects yeah. the team's chemistry getting ready for a rivalry week. Yep. 
what 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 seemed a lot easier to to probably predict after the BYU lost to Toledo and lost to South Florida and what seemed like what we're like oh man BYU's really bad and and obviously Jordan Love was you know he's he's been struggling you know most of the season he's he's just struggled and it what was was an, seemed like an easy game to predict has just become impossible to predict. Yeah, like I have no idea. Like it's, it's, not, it's like I have no. There's no feel to this game. It's like what's going to happen here? I mean, well, you're you, just going to have to wait till the well, end of the game. Be like, oh, okay. What well, BYU team shows up? Yeah, right. Because yeah. there's Jekyll and Hyde over there, and I don't know who Kalani's able to get to show up in Logan next weekend. Do you do, you do anything? And, and, and obviously against BYU, you, pro- you probably don't. Um, I would have thought. I mean, do you do anything? It's obvious. Okay, Jordan Love is struggling. You know, we we, we had Mike Yuganen on early in the week, and they said, "No, he's still, you know, he's still well thought of in the NFL circles. Like, cause it's amazing, measurable." Um, and that's what they're 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 in love with 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 all that stuff. But do you do? I I know he's your he's your guy. Do you do something to try to, you know, shock some life into him? I I, I don't know. Like you. Yeah, you saying bench him? Go with a, another quarterback? Yeah, yeah, somewhere. I don't know. Do you bench him? At, do you bench him at all and try to, you know, just say, "Hey, figure this out." Um, no, no, I, I don't I, think I, you I, can. Point. Uh, I think you go to Mike Sanford and say, "Hey, Mike, what we got to do is we've got to put in some simplification and some drop-off plays to try to get rhythm." For some reason, our rhythm and our start is off, and. You, know, you watch the way Andy Ludwig is starting a game, and it's power and punch in the face, and then it's a drop to the post into a tight end off a of play action, and that just it just starts the rhythm. And then the quarterback gets comfortable. The offensive line has the defensive line off balance because the D line is firing off and gap and gap protection for for run protection, and so it's easier for the offensive line. And the flow comes from the coordinator. If I'm Gary, I think I go to my coordinator because I I know what Jordan Love is. I can't bench him. I know what he is. So I go to my coordinator and I say, well, why why was he this last year and why is he this now? Where's our timing? Where's our rhythm? Where's our protection? And I try to work uh, more of a timing and rhythm-based offense because I, I think that it has a lot to do with that and Getting these defensive lines off balance. This, this is not the, a good offensive line. They're struggling, so they got to figure out something in play calling. But by the way, I agree. I agree. He should he, he doesn't need to be benched, but I, there just needs to be something to just shock some life into this offense. I do think. Um, I do think you'll see this team uh, will start to go away from the pace a little bit. Um, I. I think the lightning fast pace that Utah State has had over the last couple of years and into this season as well, I think you're going to see that start to slow down and, um, and and they'll still use it at times, but it wouldn't surprise me if they if they start to move away from that. I don't think that's an offense that, and this is just me speculating, I don't think it's an offense Gary Anderson's particularly fond of. I think he realized that this is what this offense was accustomed to and what Jordan Love in particular was accustomed to and, and liked and preferred. Uh, but when when things don't go your way and you only have 14 minutes of time of possession and your defense is just getting run through the mud, um, I think 
I think Gary Anderson is a defensive coordinator, you know, is a guy with a defensive background. He's going to say, you know what? We're not doing ourselves any favors. Offense can't get any rhythm from it. The advantages that we we hope to get aren't coming. So maybe we start to slow this thing down. And not that they're going to start huddling up or anything like that, but you just won't see that lightning speed that you've seen in the past. And and I don't know, maybe, maybe you will throughout the rest of the year, but I've got to imagine going forward, uh, this offense is going to start to get tweaked a little bit. In terms of in terms of what they do with pace, all right, guys, that wraps it up. It is uh, that's uh, that's uh, that's thirty two minutes of uh, of high quality football takes right there on your part. Well done. I, I will say, got to watch most of that Utah Jazz game too, and Scotty, that win over Sacramento was awesome. Boyan looked fantastic. Conley starting to come around. Donovan didn't have to be the premier last night, and it kind of showed you that they could spread the wealth, that they're going to play defense, and it was a blowout win for for the Jazz. So there's just a lot of exciting things going on, man. And, and this BYU Utah State matchup coming up this week, and Utah Washington, it is a jam packed week of high level sports with the Jazz continuing on. I just hope everybody sticks around with with me, you, and Lloyd every single day. No doubt about it. We'll be back at uh, back at it tomorrow at noon. And Scotty Lloyd, big uh, big week for us, uh, and uh, look forward to sharing that with all of you coming up this week. Uh, enjoy the games uh, today in the NFL. We'll be back with you tomorrow at high noon. This has been your morning after podcast, Scott Gerard, Hans Olson, Lloyd Cole, right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone.